0: My name is Edwin Thomas, and this is Mapping Clay, a podcast by Zentrum Paul Clay about the artist's journeys. Tunisia, 1914. Paul Clay's journey to Tunisia has become mythic. It represents the artist's breakthrough with color. It was in fact the cubic architecture of Tunisia that encouraged Clay to adopt a new mode of composition. Together with the painters Louis Moelier and Auguste Maquer, he traveled to Tunisia in April 1914, just a few weeks before the outbreak of the First World War. For two weeks, the three artists followed the usual tourist paths from Tunis via Saint-Germain and Amame to Carouan. Paul Clay regarded his impressions of the journey in his diary. Postcard to Ida Clay in Bern, Munich, April 4th, 1913. Dear Mama, we thank you warmly for the detailed letter which delighted us. You've been to another concert, and such a wonderful one at that. I immediately wrote to Louis. Hopefully he will now write and let me know about the planned journey. If we were to do it, I would of course have to ask you to take Felix again for a couple of weeks. It will be a study trip armed with painting equipment, etc. And in return for the provided sum, we will have to deliver sketches and paintings, probably a lot in my case, with my low prices as a watercolourist. As for us, we're reviving a little now, and the day before yesterday we had guests for the first time. We played trio, this time not with Dr. Strish, but with a celebrity, Baljansky. He played wonderfully, somewhat in the manner of a soloist, but unbelievable in tone and recital. A painter we knew brought him, and he praised us greatly, our ensemble and temperament. Apart from her, our audience comprised the art critic Dr. Hausenstein with his wife, and Dr. Homberger. Thank you to Mathilde for her lines. Warm regards to Papa, and you from all of us. Your Paul. P.S. Felix is well, though rather restless. Postcard from Paul Clay to Louis Moellier, April 4th, 1913. Monsieur Louis Moellier, Chalet-Waldheim, Gunten, Lac-Tun, Canton de Berne. Cher Louis, rumors have reached me. Firstly, that you have become an aviation professional, and that your wife has abandoned her former profession too, at which she'd been so successful. Secondly, I'm to be expected in Bern in 14 days' time. All of this sounds a bit bizarre, and I would first like to ask the pilot, gentleman or lady, not to be confused with piloti, to kindly oblige me with a more illuminating explanation, especially as far as the latter oracle is concerned, since adventures around my person seem to be more significant events than the aerial excursions of the mobile lady and gentleman from Gunten. Apart from that, I'm fine. My wife is once again well, recovering somewhat from a violent bout of influenza. And the watercolour you acquired was exhibited for months on Platz, in the display of new art. It's now going on a tour with the Modern Association, ten watercolours in all. It will of course go to you afterwards. To put it dryly, what about our travel plans? Cordially, from one palace to another. Clay. Addition from Lily, a thousand warm wishes to both the dear Moliere. Postcard from Paul Clay to Louis Moliere, May the 19th, 1913. Monsieur Louis Moliere, from Gunten, Cafe Bel Air, at the moment in Provouilly, near Merton, Switzerland. Cher Louis, So you're in beautiful Vistenlach, which I love very much. Monvouille is my favourite mountain. Travelling to Tunis alone is not actually what I had in mind. It's supposed to be a real study trip where we would inspire each other. Might the funds that are kindly being made available be invested so that they remain available at all times, or not? I generally know too little about this very important aspect of our plan. What's the source of the money? On what conditions are we receiving it? Because it isn't supposed to be a gift, but based on the receipt of works in return, with me providing about ten black and white works or five watercolours. Why an impenetrable secrecy around this matter? I'd be grateful to you for some detailed information. We should be planning for next spring, leaving about two weeks before Easter. This is because next year I'll have a son at school and I have to take this into account so that he skips as few weeks as possible. He would then go to Ban for the duration of our journey. I wish you the best of success in your work. The idea of you trying your skills in the Merton region seems a very good one to me. Warm wishes to you and your dear wife from us three. Your Clay. Postcard from Paul Clay to Louis Moliere, March the 21st, 1914. Monsieur Louis Moliere, painter, Gunten, at Lektun, Canton Bern. Cher Louis, the time when I can take the planned trip, taking into necessary account our son's vacation, is approaching. Tunis? The word in question booms like a foghorn. Do write soon concerning the present state of the financial arrangements. As a family man without means, I can only risk this if there are guarantees. We have already discussed Bornon's contribution, but Yégi? He has to send money. Please reply soon, otherwise I'll try pressing a marker. I would like to tell you again how sorry I was to hear about the loss you had to suffer, you and your wife, and ask you once again to convey my condolences to Hélène. Yours as always, Clay. P.S. Departure possible from Palm Sunday. Diary, Munich, April 1914. Study trip to Tunisia. This is how it came about. Louis Mollier, that Swiss count, had been there once, of course, He had been invited by a doctor from Bern, name of Yegi, who lives there. Now, my friend the Count is not only impudent about taking advantage of his good fortune, but also willing to share it with people he likes. And he likes two people. One of them, August Marker, and the other, myself. He likes a good many young ladies, too. Marker has recently taken a place at Lake Thun, and last December the three of us vowed that it should come to be. Louis thinks I deserve this treat, and will advance me money against pictures. Macher can take care of himself, he's selling pretty well. Friday, April the 3rd, off to Bern. First to park Felix with his grandparents, second to pick up the money. Saturday, April the 4th, Bern. Bought French money, a pocket full of beautiful gold pieces, 500 francs. Some instinct or other made me take coins, although it was slightly more expensive than bills. Natural and right, even though it may not really be necessary. Diary, Marseille, April 1914. Finally, the landscape flattened out. The track was protected by trees against the wind, or some other danger. A flickering that would make one sick. The Swiss carriage was a bit too light. Approaching Marseille, extremely heavy freight traffic. Handsome railroad station. A big lake, the Etang de Berre, looks like the sea. At five in the afternoon, we reached our first goal. Mounted an amusing little hackney with Louis, drove or rather bounced through this southern Paris for a long time and constantly downhill. Let the cabman pick the hotel. Inexpensive but so beautiful. Beautiful enough to make you stay. A stroll at twilight along the harbour front. Looked for a ship. Worked up a terrific appetite. Looked for Maca on the quay of the Vieux-Port. Finally found him. There he was with his baby face, eating and drinking like a young prince. Didn't see us, it was a sidewalk restaurant with a hedge around it. We crouched down behind the hedge so that he could only see our heads. He saw us, blushed slightly, and looked quickly away as though he'd seen nothing. He then proceeded to greet us gaily as if nothing had ever happened. He's bubbling over about Marseille and has even been to a bullfight, which almost made him sick. After dinner, there was still time to go to a vaudeville show. A young comedian impersonates a Tyrolean girl at the only number in good taste. Monday, April the 6th. At noon we went aboard our ship. A fine, big vessel of the Compagnie Transatlantique, called the Carthage. Pleasant, clean cabins. Little receptacles for vomiting, pretty and promising. The ride through the harbour made an amusing excursion, out on the breakwater, a last group of people waving goodbye. Now the real thing, as the ship began to roll. The Gulf du Lyon is known for it. Il fait beau temps pourtant. Try to believe it. I took Gabriel Munto's medicine. The other two were taking large mauve and green pills and smiling at me in my Munta remedy. I distrusted both, the one as much as the other. That's when I began to feel pretty sick, though it was gradual enough. August Macke drew me a little sketch to show me what I would look like when I was really sick. He had no faith in Munter. Whereupon, I finally let him give me some of his mauve and green pills. Lo and behold, I felt better. And a little later, I lit my pipe. From here on in, August Macke really became my friend. Until then, he had considered me a monster of perfection. And now I was snugly smoking a pipe. He found this irresistible. This raised our mood to high spirits, But all the same, the deck slanted like a roof and everything began to slide. Men, women, deck chairs. There was no little confusion around the rail. This continual slanting to one side and the other brought results. The passengers became fewer. But the three of us remained cheerful, carefree, above it all. Just happy. Desire for food and sleep overcame us. We laid siege to the dining room a half an hour ahead of time. Perhaps the food was nothing special. It seemed to us fit for a king, and how we slept. Tuesday 7th of April Our proud steamer left the open sea. The harbour and city of Tunis were behind us, slightly hidden. First we passed down a long canal. On shore, very close, our first Arabs. The sun has a dark power. The colourful clarity on shore, full of promise. Makkah too feels it. We both know that we shall work well here. The docking in the modest, sombre harbour, very impressive. The first Orientals we saw close up were those on the banks of the canal. Then, although the ship was still moving, incredible characters climbed aboard, up rope ladders. Below, our host, Dr Yegi, his wife, his little daughter and his automobile. At last we landed and were submitted to the final test, making our way through the crush of the customs inspection amidst deafening noise. Then by car to Dr. Yegi's and dinner. Everything continued to sway. Under Yegi's guidance, a nocturnal walk through the Arab town. Reality and dream simultaneously, and myself makes a third in the party, completely at home here. This will be fine. Dr. Yegi, comical, dry, and sober, feels alienated, only has a feeling for the climate and money yearns for Switzerland, and is stranger to me than the first Arab beggar. There's an inn in a church, just like home. We have to comment on a couple of fiddles that he bought cheap. In our state of enthusiasm, this is a bit trite. We make a few jokes about Stradivarius, take the violins and improvise the most beautiful Arab music, Louis and I as off-pitch fiddlers, August banging out the rhythm on the piano and singing a long, monotonous melody through his nose. I really think we play good music and our testing of the violins met with everybody's approval. Wednesday, 8th of April, Tunis. My head is full of the impressions of last night's walk. Art, nature, self. Went to work at once and painted in watercolour in the Arab quarter. Began the synthesis of urban architecture and pictorial architecture. Not yet pure, quite attractive, somewhat too much of the mood, the enthusiasm of travelling within it. The self, in a word. Things will no doubt get more objective later once the intoxication has worn off a bit. Bought something in the souk. Maka praises the fascination of spending money. Took a car ride in the vicinity of the city. Yegi as unlicensed chauffeur. Heavy Sirocco wind, clouds. The extremely subtle definition of the colours. Nothing painfully bright as at home. To the rear, a big lake, which is said to dry up in the summer. A slight feeling of desert, threatening. In our climate, sultry weather like this brings showers of rain. Not here, unfortunately, says Dr. Yegi. On the way home, Yegi told us about a real estate speculation in which he has a share. A hotel was to be built in the park. Would we execute an enticing poster? August, of course we will. Dr. Yegi thought we might earn some money and top up our travel budget. Well thought, quickly said. But done? Never. Of course. The meals at Yegi's are abundant. The cooking's done by a black man. A surly woman from Argau cleans the rooms. Our stomachs burn because we overload them. Maca swallows bicarbonate, powders wrapped in wafers. But there's one thing that the girl from Argau does superbly, says Louis, taking her side. to prepare baths. This she does to perfection. Saturday, April the 11th, Saint-Germain, near Tunis. Some watercolours on the beach and from the balcony. The watercolour of the beach, still somewhat European. Could have been painted near Marseille just as well. In the second, I encountered Africa for the first time. The heat overhead probably helped. At noon, my first swim in the sea. Got undressed upstairs, came down in my robe, left my robe on the beach. Fine. In the afternoon, our host came with his car and took us through a section of the countryside. Intense heat. In the evening, decorated Easter eggs for the children. August created exquisite patterns. Then painted a plaster wall in the dining room. August immediately at home in the large format, a complete scene. Donkey and master, etc. I contented myself with two tiny pictures in the corner, which I completed. Easter Sunday, April the 12th, Saint-Germain. August remained in bed that morning with a slight case of melancholy. Is so childlike himself and feels nostalgia for his boys. They ought to be here now to go swimming. I went out, to work. The little girl was looking for the eggs. Unfortunately, we had nothing to fix the colours, and part of the magic came off in her tiny fingers. The morning air was humid. Saint-Germain with a tricolor flag. Saint-Germain with a young palm tree. August didn't swim. Perhaps he was thinking of the legendary sharks. I wouldn't forego the treat. Noon here is too hot. The little girls stood on the shore, wrapped in a big, heavy robe. The prospect across the water was splendidly beautiful, but not extravagant. Everything has a great dignity. The evening is indescribable. And on top of everything else, a full moon came up. Louis urged me to paint it. I said it will be an exercise at best. Naturally, I'm not up to this kind of nature. Still, I know a bit more than I did before. I know the disparity between my internal resources and nature. This is an internal affair to keep me busy for the next few years. It doesn't trouble me one bit. No use hurrying when you want so much. The evening is deep inside me forever. Many a blind northern moonrise, like a muted reflection, will softly remind me and remind me again and again. It will be my bride, my alter ego, an incentive to find myself. I myself am the moonrise of the South. Tuesday, April the 14th, Tunis, Hamame. Had an appointment at the railroad station at six in the morning with Maka. A small queue in front of the ticket booth. An old man shouted, "Bada bada!" makes room for himself. It was so natural. At home we hear this from children. I'm in good spirits, in fact exuberant. I mistook someone in the queue for August and snuck up to him as if to rob him. Before I picked his pockets I discovered my mistake. The city is magnificent, right by the sea, full of bends and sharp corners. Now and then I get a look at the ramparts. In the streets, more women are to be seen than in Tunis. Little girls without veils, as at home. Then too, one is allowed to enter the cemeteries here. There's one splendidly situated by the sea. A few animals graze in it. This is fine. I try to paint. The reeds and bushes provide a beautiful rhythm of patches. Superb gardens in the vicinity. Giant cactuses form walls. A path with cactuses just like a hollow alley. Painted a good deal and sauntered around. At the café in the evening, the blind singer and his boy beating the drum. A rhythm that will stay with me forever. Spent the night in a place run by a nasty old Frenchwoman. Louis and Maca, wearing only their nightshirts shirts, had a pillow fight. She gave us a constipating beef liver and tea. The cooking at Yegi's was better. But the little terrace on the way up the hotel was fine. I did a watercolour here, transposing a great deal but remaining completely faithful to nature. High oboe sounds and tambourine beats lured us to the Snake Charmer and to the Scorpion Eater, a delightful street show. The donkey watched too. Thursday, April the 16th. In the morning painted outside the city. A gently diffused light falls, at once mild and clear. No fog. Then sketched in town. A stupid guide provided a comic element. August taught him German words, but what words? In the afternoon, he took us to the mosque. The sun darted through, and how? We rode a while on the donkey. In the evening, through the streets, a cafe decorated with pictures, beautiful watercolors, we ransacked the place buying. A street scene around a mouse. Finally, someone killed it with a shoe. We landed at a sidewalk cafe. An evening of colors as tender as they were clear. Virtuosos at checkers. Happy hour. Louis found exquisite colour tidbits, and I was to catch them, since I'm so skillful at it. I now abandon work. It penetrates so deeply and so gently into me. I feel it, and it gives me confidence in myself without effort. Colour possesses me. I don't have to pursue it. It will possess me always. I know it. That is the meaning of this happy hour. Colour and I are one. I am a painter. Friday, April the 17th. In the morning, again painted outside the town, close to the wall, on a sand hill. Then went on a walk alone because I was so overflowing, out through a gate where a few trees stand, rarities and rarity. When I got closer, I determined it was a small park. A water basin filled with water plants, frogs and tortoises through the dusty gardens before the town, painted a last watercolour while standing. Near the hotel, scenes of people on a roof. Below, an excited woman, a crowd. She defended herself, weeping, her child on her back. Louis was sorry for her. I packed a few things. My train leaves at 11 the next morning. The other two will follow later, on the same afternoon of the next day. Today, I had to be alone. What I had experienced was too powerful. I had to leave to regain my senses. The other two travel with me after all. It seems they too have had their experience. Good lads, very gifted. Maca facile and brilliant, Molier dreamy. In the train they wrestle again to the astonishment of the natives. An oil merchant who'd had more than enough facing us, exuding a penetrating odor. Louis moves away, puckering up his nose. I'm all eyes. Upon arriving in Tunis, we learn that our medical couple are going out and ask us to come too. The officer's wife will be delighted by our visit and will fry us some eggs, sunny-side up. I decline. Today I want to eat in festive style, namely, alone. Louis respects decorum and accepts. I let the nurse prepare a fine bath, she is an expert at this, with steaming towels. And then to the best Italian restaurant, the Chianti ate wonderfully, and drank Chianti, which prickles like Barbera wine. Then August showed up, smiled genially about my secret debauchery, and sang me a little pie to the squandering of money. Saturday, April the 18th, Tunis. Louis bought things for his wife. I remember that I had to do something of the kind myself. We strolled through the beautiful souks. He bargained hard over an amber necklace. When all was done, a connoisseur nearby declared, Ce n'est pas de l'ombre. But he didn't want us to confront the merchant with his advice. It was amber, after all, but, in his opinion, made of powder, not complete pieces. I'm now very wary of these Orientals. The jewellers and perfume merchants are extremely elegant gentlemen indeed, but... I then bought a beautiful knife and leather cushions, too, besides a beautiful amulet, rings and an old coin. Light rain, the first since autumn, fell for a brief hour. Yegi's little daughter tossed blissfully in the courtyard with her umbrella, which she had received at Christmas and had not been able to use until now. Louis had made another beautiful purchase. Sensual photographs, which the Italians sell. He smiled happily over his possession. Yegi was happy about the rain. Tonight the French will certainly all be drunk. He must go and see his garden in Saint-Germain. Good-humouredly, we drove out in his car. He also needed wine arriving there after a rather uninteresting drive he uttered a hey seeing that we'd only partly painted his rooms we raced back to town because the doctor was expecting literary company in the evening partly in our honor another comical scene took place at this affair the europeans had become a bit excited under the influence of the good wine and the conversation as a result became a little spicy Whereupon, I whispered to Louis to pass his sensual photographs around. Algus heard this and at once fell into a violent laughing fit. The scoundrel contaminated us too so that the three of us laughed like madmen and couldn't recover for a long time. Then the fit started all over again, with special violence whenever a certain officer's wife begged us to tell her why we were laughing so much. Sunday, April 19th. Departure from Tunis. First, the preparations for the departure. Many watercolours and all sorts of other things. Most of it inside me, deep inside. But I'm so full that it keeps bubbling out. Paid one dutiful visit to the museum, a great deal of Roman art. This is the result of the fall of Carthage. At five in the evening, boarded the ship. Macca and Muellier were to stay a few days more. I felt somewhat restless, my cart was overloaded, I had to set to work. The big hunt was over, now I had to unravel. A very mediocre ship, the Capitaine pereire took me in. The Navigation Mixte, which is part of my combination ticket, no longer ran. I couldn't be reimbursed there, but only at the place where I purchased my ticket. As a result, I had to pay as far as Palermo. And to save money, I travelled third class. Luckily, I was the only passenger. The men's dormitory was large, it was lit by an oil lamp. One could smell it at once. Below stood the handsome black car, my host Yegi, who doesn't like people to thank him, his little daughter, and Moilier and the Maka, who did me the honour of escorting me. Now I stood above the others below. They asked how third class is. I said fine, without really being convinced of it. Maka kept making priceless, foolish faces. He was not at all moved by our leave-taking, offered me closely shaved cheeks to kiss and pretended to be filled with sorrow. In reality, he only mended his fast. but I took it seriously and kissed his childlike face. Hadn't I always addressed him with the informal you? He spoke a very broken kind of Swiss German which one can't quite take seriously. When we spoke high German, I could never bring myself to address him with the informal du. One had to shout in order to be understood below. Therefore, I didn't say much more. After all, we'd been together day and night. It was beautiful. We were good comrades. Our hearts had felt so light that we might have been ready for some youthful escapades in spite of being married. Be that as it may, I was the oldest. One time, Maka had cast soulful glances toward a balcony where the femme d'un officier was posing. Immediately, she made a sign and disappeared inside. And right after, she appeared downstairs. I felt called upon to give the signal for flight, and the two of them ran away with me. And so it always remained a joke, which was just as well. On another occasion, an exceptionally obliging guide took us to one of the bordello alleys. A great scene took place there, because Count Louis couldn't resist smiling at the sight of a fat French girl in a short child's dress. She flew at the guide with a snappy voice that was in strange contrast to her babyish appearance. Tu amènes des gens, salcochants qui viennent rigoler devant ma porte the native replied in his own brand of French. He trembled like a beast of prey about to leap on its quarry. Louis pointed a forefinger at the fellow's legs. They were really worth looking at, and all because of an old tart at best fit for soldiers. On one occasion, the only one, we saw a little Arab beauty, and it was incredible how much she resembled August's wife. Moliere commented on this fact immediately, simply because he couldn't give anything to himself. Now I, again, felt pained that the three of us were standing there observing her like this. As it happened, there were two cocots, but the second was not very attractive. Unfortunately, one can do anything to these creatures except photograph them. You can only manage it once in a great while. The instant they see the camera, they flee, and so we left too. But the creatures reappeared and shouted something after us. Louis answers something drastic in Bernese dialect. The last I saw was an obscene gesture from the beautiful girl and a vulgar laugh that jarred with an otherwise pretty and delicate vision. Vulgarity even here then, but certainly only because of European influence. Thus, partly through my doing, partly through circumstance, the merry, brash, lusty young fellows Maca and Wallier, were successfully kept out of mischief. They never got any further than Maca's motto. Hey, let's go. No, let them do what they please, the two of them. In a short while I'll be floating toward Italy, and they'll be left to themselves. Who knows. In Trapani they say the goats are beautiful. Perhaps I'll try it that way there. My ship won't stop in Trapani, so I hear this very minute. Farewell therefore, my two friends of the brush. The noise increases. With booming voices we scream a last few trifles at each other, and the wind blows them away. Actually, the third-class cabin was pretty bad. I said it was good only because I didn't want them to laugh at my thriftiness. In reality, I had left long ago. Perhaps they too had already stopped thinking about me. They merely wanted to see the ship leave. Louis' shark eyes seemed to be looking for a victim. He stares so fixedly. Where might the victim be among the many people who want to see the boat leave? Seen from where I am... They're just a mass. The second time, when Don Quixote was so mild and so disappointingly wistful, we shouldn't have deprived ourselves of coffee. For the first time, it cost trois francs avec le café. And the second time, without coffee, trois francs s'il vous plaît. Postcard from Louis Moliere to Paul Clay, October 21st, 1914. Mr. and Mrs. Paul Clay, Munich, 32, Ein Millestrasse. Wednesday. My dears, on Sunday we received your distressing message. I'd still been hoping for an error, but today, Lisbeth Macker and her mother have confirmed the sad news. There's still hope. He fell but wasn't found. Nobody has confirmed that he's dead. So being wounded in French captivity is not out of the question. We'll do everything we can to get message from France. If he's still alive, I will go and find him. But my dears, do not despair. Maybe this person is not yet lost to us. Everything is peaceful here. Helene and I are hard at work. Does Paul yet have a firearm in his hands? We hope they'll do without him so that one friend will remain with us. We think about you a lot and send you both our very warm wishes. Louis, Helen. The next episode, Southern France, 1927, concerns the now successful artist and Bauhaus master, Paul Klee, who is seeking relaxation during vacations in southern climes. Mapping Clay is a series of podcasts by Zentrum Paul Clay. This podcast has been produced by Maze Pictures, Swiss, and with the support of Engagement Migros.